Well, now we're going to have a look at Psalm 130, and we're going to refer to much that's in the whole psalm, I'm sure. Um, So we'll just read a few verses again. We'll read verse 1. Well, the verses I want to concentrate on are verse verse 5. Sorry, verse 4 and 5. But with you, verses 3 and 4, I'm very sorry, verses 3 and 4. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. You remember how this psalm began? Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. That's verse 1. The last verse, the psalm closes. O Lord, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there's steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. He will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Now tell me, how does one go so quickly from the depths of despair in verse 1 to the heights of confidence certainty in verse 8? How does one go from grieving sorrowfully to singing heartily from a state and condition of utter desperation to complete assurance. What comes, in other words, between verse 1 and verse 8? What is there in between these verses that make all the difference to this poor man who cries out of the depths that God would hear him? And between how he ends, O Israel, trust in the Lord, their steadfast love with him. What has made the difference? Two things I suggest. A prayer to God and a word from God. And it's exactly the same today for you and for me. Situations can change with a prayer to God based on a word from God as we have in verses 3 and 4. Who should mark iniquity? If you mark iniquity, who can stand? But, but, with you there is forgiveness. Now it's very helpful to note how a psalmist composed his psalms. It was not a spare time activity. It was not a case that a psalmist said, well, I have nothing in my diary today. 
I'll do a bit of psalm writing. No, no, no. That's not how it happened. Neither was it a case that a psalmist said, I've got a gift of poetry. I'm going to devote every Tuesday to composing psalms. No, 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 no. That's not how it happened. That's not how psalmists wrote their psalms. Where do we learn how they did it? Well, we learn it from the psalms themselves. That's why we sang Psalm 45. Verse 1 tells us what made him pick up his pen to write. We sang it. A noble theme inspires my heart with verses for the king. My tongue's a skillful writer's pen composing lines to sing. In the original word, the original word has the idea of his heart bubbling up, bubbling over. He's discovered something. And oh, it's tremendous. It's changed his life. And he said, I can't stop picking up my pen and putting this down in writing for future generations. This is a tremendous discovery I've made. I want you to know it. Others have to learn about it. Of course, we do know that God was stirring up his heart and he couldn't stop himself picking up his pen to write it. So, what is the noble theme of Psalm 130 that moved the psalmist to put it down in writing? Well, that's our text. Verses 3. And four. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But, oh, I love these buts in the Bible, but with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. The themes, the seriousness of sin and secondly the fact that despite the seriousness of sin there is forgiveness with God that's the noble theme inspiring our psalmist to write these words so as God would help us let's just look at these two things first the seriousness of sin, and secondly, the reality, the truth, there is forgiveness with God, however serious your sin is, there is forgiveness with God. The problem is sin. You often hear people saying, ah, He's, he's got guilt feelings. That's his problem. No, it's not. Guilt feelings are not our problem. Our problem is guilt. Not guilt feelings. Guilt. So, what does guilt mean? Guilt 
simply means, or I suppose I should say, because we're in an age now when things change. We change definitions. We don't like what sin is, so well, we just change its meaning. Oh, it was a mistake. A mistake. No, no. Guilt in the Bible means liability to punishment for your sin. Because we have sinned, we're guilty. And guilt means we're liable to punishment because of our sins. It's very simple. It's not at all pleasant, but it's very simple. We've done things that are wrong in God's sight, therefore we're liable to punishment. So we have to ask, what is sin? Who decides what sin is? The government? Eh? Really? I mean, governments change, so the definition of sin changes. Come on. Who decides? Who defines sin? God. The maker of everything. The one who called everything into existence. He defines sin. And he's got the right. He's got the right. Because he made everything. He made you. He made me. He's got the right to define what's right and what's wrong. What is sin? Anything against God. My personal definition would be disagreeing with God. Because, you see, sin goes right into the depths of our hearts. I can be doing everything just right. I can be keeping all these commandments. And then God gives me cancer. And I'm not a happy bunny. I'm disagreeing with God. That's sin. I must repent. I must confess it to God. I'm not happy with what you've done. I think it's a mistake. I think it's terribly wrong. You spoiled my plans. Disagreeing with God is sin. Someone has said it's saying no to God. God murder. Actually, we're all born with it. And if we're truthful, we want to keep God out of our lives. Am I right? We want to keep God. Well, we acknowledge he exists, but keep him at a distance. Keep him at a distance. We've got our agenda. We want to do our thing. Wrong. God is the boss. And he has every right to be God. Because he's made everything. And he made everything for his glory. But we said no to God. That's sin. And it's liable to punishment. As our text says, who can stand if God should mark iniquity? That word mark in the original has two ideas we need to mention. First of all, 
It means an intense scrutiny. It's not just a casual glance. Intense scrutiny. And the second thing in the word mark is the indelible recording of it. Every wrong thing we have done is written in God's book irreversibly. Irreversibly. Thankfully, it can be blotted out. It can be blotted out. can't be removed, but it can be blotted out with the blood of Jesus Christ covering it. That's the good news of sin. But God demands requirement. The reverse in the Bible, Galatians 3.10, it says, Cursed is everyone, everyone, who does not continue, continue in all things, all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. It's an ongoing thing. The standard must reach heaven. Heaven sets the standard. The depth, our inward hearts. You know, there's a verse in James chapter 2, verse 10. Whoever keeps the whole law of God and yet stumble in one point, he's guilty of all. That verse is saying, the system of getting to heaven by being good enough falls down, fails, breaks down if you once and break one point, one aspect of one law. The system has failed. Do you know why? Because God is an absolute being. We don't believe in that nowadays, so that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you believe. What matters is what is. God is an absolute being. And God is perfect. And God requires perfection. He has to. Otherwise, he'd no longer be a holy God. He'd be changeable. He wouldn't be God. And that has to continue forever. We're not going to make it. We're not going to achieve it. We cannot reach this standard. It's too late. We have all already broken it. The system of getting to heaven by being good enough, by being absolutely perfect, has fallen. It's failed. We need another system to get to heaven. And that, of course, is the good news of the gospel. We are all liable to punishment, to all the miseries of this life, 
and in that which is to come through our sin. And we deserve it. And that's what's happening to us in our default position as we come out of the womb. I am so glad that's not the gospel complete. It is the starting point. It is the starting point. You know, some people say to me, ah, you start off with God is love. Really? Come on. You're going to get yourself in awful trouble if you start off explaining the gospel with God loves you. Aren't you going to get the reply, God loves me? Well, why did I get cancer? God loves me. Why did I lose my wife? Come on, you're walking straight into trouble. Listen, there's nothing truer, nothing more basic to the gospel, but God is love. But listen, that's not the starting point. You don't understand God is love until you understand first God is holy and can't let anything off. But you must understand, secondly, we're going to change the subject. We're now going to go on to, I just love these verses in the Bible that have but in it. It is true. Who could stand if God marks iniquity? But that's not the end of the story. The gospel has just begun. But although that is true, There is forgiveness with God. Hallelujah. That's the gospel. There is forgiveness with God. You know, we sinful people, we're people of extremes. The real difficult thing to do in explaining the gospel is to try to convict people of their sins, to tell them they've disobeyed God and God is angry with the wicked every day. It's it's very difficult to convince people of that. I remember a friend, a Christian friend, who was very, very good and he had authority to go into uh, prisons and preach the gospel. And he said, oh, I love I love going to prison, he says. You don't need to spend long telling them they've got a problem doing wrong. He says, they know it. What they want to know is, how can I stop it? How can I get rid of this impetus in me to do what I want instead of doing what God wants? And you know, as I said People brought up in a Christian environment like most of us have been in. The real thing is convicting them of sin and their absolute urgency of getting right with God quickly. Once you do convict them, once they do become convicted of sin, you know what happens? They swing to the other extreme. And they say, oh, there's no hope for me. I'm so bad. I'm so ruined. There's no hope for me. Isn't that so like man, extreme? Oh no, I've done nothing wrong. I'm a good person. I'm far better than Joe Bloggs. I would never do this. I'd never do that. I don't need to be saved. And then when you get conviction, oh, you see the devil works. Doesn't like you be convicted of sin. 
And he will convict of sin. But it's to make you despair. It's to make you to be without hope. When the Holy Spirit convicts, it's to make you interested in the gospel. Yes, you're a sinner. Yes, you're liable to punishment. Yes, you're on the road to hell. But, but, there is forgiveness with God. You can be forgiven in an instant. You can be on the road to heaven in an instant. We're a people of extremes. I'm not a sinner. Don't you dare. A number of times I've been said, don't you dare call me a sinner. Amen. When they're convicted, they say, ah, there's no hope for me. Yes, there is hope for the vilest sinner out of hell, but they must believe. They must believe. Note carefully verse 4. It's the order of things. If you're here today, or if you're listening to me, I think this has been recorded, I'm not sure. Um, But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. If you're here today, you're listening to me, and you're not a Christian, am I right in saying that when you begin to think about the things of God, if you ever do, am I right? That you say, well, for God to forgive me, I've got to sort myself out first. Am I right? If God's going to bless me with heaven, I've got to turn over a new leaf. I've got to be a different guy. Am I right? Is that what verse 4 says? But with you, there is forgiveness that, or as it could be translated, in order that you may be feared properly. You see, we can't fear God aright until you're first forgiven. The first step in Christianity is forgiveness. It's not something you get at the end for trying hard enough. No, no, you're not. You haven't begun the path, the Christian life, until you're first forgiven. And it's here in verse 4. There is forgiveness, first of all, so that you may then begin to fear God aright. Isn't that what our text is saying? Note. Uh, Verse 7. Hope in the Lord. In his word do I hope. Upon what? He makes a prayer in verse 2. Oh Lord, hear my voice. He's asking for mercy. But it has to be based upon something. You know, people say, oh, I believe in God. Now tell me. Are you here and you say, oh, I believe in God? You maybe wouldn't say you're a Christian. You say, I believe in God. Now tell me, what precisely do you believe about God? I want more than, oh, I believe God exists. Come on. What precisely do you believe about God? You see, our psalmist here is saying, his hope is in his word. 
His hope is in his word. In his word do I hope. Verse 5. You see, you don't just believe. You have to believe something about God. You don't just believe he exists. I remember when I left the printing trade and began to apply for the ministry, I remember a customer coming in and saying, oh, George, I heard about you. You're leaving the trade and you're going in for the ministry. Oh, he says, I've got my faith. I've got my faith. Oh, I says, Bob, what in? I said, oh, he says, I've got my faith, George. Don't you worry, I've got my faith. I said, Bob, what is your faith in? George, he says, I have faith. I've got a lot of faith. I said, Bob, what in? He didn't know. Come on. The Buddhist has great faith. The Buddhist burns himself to death because he trusts in Buddha. But wait a minute. Buddha doesn't believe in the eternal world. He doesn't believe in heaven or hell. He doesn't believe in God. And he says, in fact, if there is a God, nothing to do with us. What's the point in believing in Buddha? You see, it's not faith that saves It's faith in Christ that saves. It's Christ that does the saving. Forgive me if I've given this illustration before. I'm going to deliver something in a foreign country and I have to cross a river and there's two bridges. And I'm told one of these bridges will hold my 17 stone but the other bridge won't. But tell me they can't remember which is the one that will hold my weight. Choose. So I say to myself, right, I'm going to put all my faith on that bridge on the left. Going to put all my, really going to believe it's going to take me over. So I go off, start across it. And then drop into the water. That's not my faith that let me down. It's the bridge that let me down. I had my faith in the wrong bridge. Just like the Buddhist. What is it you believe in and on? The word of God. He says in verse 5, In your, in his word, I hope. What has God promised to the unbeliever? What has God promised to every person who comes in contact with his word? You see, there are a lot of promises in the Bible, but they're restricted to Christians. So, if you're unconverted, if you're not a Christian and you want to become a Christian, you've got to believe. You've got to put your trust in something he says to non-believers so that they'll become believers in his word. Here's a verse. Whoever confesses and forsakes his sin will have mercy. Proverbs 28, 13. Whoever. Whoever. Do you know what that word whoever means? It could literally be translated without exception. 
without exception, anyone who confesses and forsakes his sin will have mercy. Can you get in there? Can you get in there? Here's another verse. Again, to anyone, to whosoever. Romans 10, 11. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Whoever, without exception. That's a specific promise from God to non-believers. If you believe, you will not be put to shame. Can you say that? Have you done that? Do you believe that? Is that your hope? I'll give you a third text. Romans 10, 13. It's actually only two verses further on. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's God promising, putting in writing a promise to any man, woman, boy, girl who calls seriously, genuinely on the name of the Lord will be saved. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? That's a gospel. That's all there is. It's not difficult to understand, is it? Do you believe it, though? That's the key. Do you believe it? Is that your hope? If you were to die tonight, and you were to arrive at the gates of heaven, you're asked, why? Why do you expect to get in here? What would you say? Oh, please don't tell me you'd say, I've done my best. Please don't tell me that. Would you be able to say, God put in writing that if I called on his name for salvation, he would save me. And then the gates will swing open. God's word, in his word, do I I'm sure you sing Psalm 34 here a lot. I just love the last verse. It's another promise. It's another promise. Psalm 34, verse 22. None perish who him trust. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter how often you sin. Doesn't matter what condition you're in. Call on the name of the Lord, trust in him, and you'll never perish. Faith is faith in the promises of God. Well, that's how one becomes a Christian. That's how one receives forgiveness. But then, of course, there's the Christian life afterwards. And I thank God every day, and I hope you do too, that my guarantee of getting into heaven does not depend on how well I do on the Christian life. It depends on 
did Christ really die to pay for the sins of rebellious people like me? And my Bible says he does. He did. Our entry into heaven is purely Christ paid for our sins. Therefore, he's worth following. Therefore, he's worth professing. He's worth witnessing for. There are encouragement in verse 7. With the Lord there is steadfast love and plentiful redemption. He will be with you all the way, all the way to the very end. Steadfast love. Having begun... John 13, 1 is a lovely verse. John 13, 1. Having begun uh, to love them, he loved them to the end. Isn't that amazing? 13, John 13, 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, He loved them to the end, even though they let him down so often. He continued loving them to the end. Just as we close, just a few words about verse 5. Very important to understand this. I explained earlier what does... What does marking iniquity mean? What is, what's the definition of sin, etc.? What is the definition of wait? Here in verse 5, he says, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits. It's vital to understand that the psalmist here is not saying, I'm waiting for God to see if he'll forgive me. That's not what he's saying. If he'll forgive me, that's not faith. He will forgive me because he said it and he put it in writing. Waiting for God in the Bible means depending on God. It's what the psalmist, in verse 5, the psalmist has discovered. He has realized that sin can be forgiven. It's really an act of faith. It's a declaration of faith in his word I hope he's written, whoever believes, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'm believing it. That's my hope. The certainty of God's mercy. If we call on his name, if we believe in his name, if we trust in his name. The plea, what comes between verse 1, the first verse and the last verse? A plea for mercy based upon a word of truth. Do you believe God? Do you believe what he's written? Do you believe when Christ died, he died for the sins of a number that no man can number for multitude who believe and depend on Christ's salvation for forgiveness and eternal life? May God, the Holy Spirit, make his word effectual to every one of us. Let's bow our heads in prayer.
O Lord, we pray for your Holy Spirit to take the things of Christ and make them ours here this day in your house. Give us this faith that changes our lives, saves our soul, guarantees heaven for us. Help us put our trust alone in Jesus. Now hear, now forgive, now bless, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, we're going to sing these verses. Uh, We're going to sing this psalm in Psalm 130. It's on page 421. Page 421, Psalm 130. Lord, from the depths to thee I cried. My voice, Lord, do thou hear. Unto my supplications voice, give an attentive ear. Down to the last verse. And plenteous redemption is ever found with him. And from all his iniquities, he Israel shall redeem. Psalm 130 to God's praise. Lord, from
grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forevermore. Amen.